You need to understand that in verse 6, God had called Gideon to be the judge, a deliverer of Israel. They're oppressed by the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the peoples of the east. And every year during the harvest season, right before the grain, or when the grain's ready, before Israel can harvest it, they come through and wipe out everything. Israel is in dire straits. They've called out to God. God has appeared, the angel of the Lord, the Lord, in verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to water, and I will test them for you there. And then that will, uh, of whom I say, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought them down, the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall put apart by himself like everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. The rest... Didn't pass the test. Now, Gideon has a little bit of a problem. He still is doubting God. And God says, go down to the camp. And one of the guys down at the camp said he's having a dream. Um, That's um, in verse 13, I think. And uh, he said, the barley loaf came in the camp and struck it. And the tent fell. Okay, and his companion said in verse 14, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, the man of Israel. And to his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Now, we're reading through this sort of spotty because it's a long passage. But what I really wanted to think, after all this miraculous stuff that it talks about, and getting dividing uh, his men into three companies of a hundred, okay, go down to verse 20. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the torches in the left hands and the trumpets in the right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. What really jumped out at me in this story is verse 21. Notice, And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord said, Every man's sword against his company companion throughout the whole camp and the army fled and it tells where they fled to let's pray father thank you for just giving us the day to be here to worship you Uh, thank you for our sunday school hour thank you for the beautiful music you've blessed our church with thank you for your word and father i pray that by the power of your holy spirit your word will come alive and that lord not only will it come alive uh, but but we'll Remember it and apply it to our hearts and lives and be obedient. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We come to that section of Scripture where it's one of the heroes, one of the judges of Israel. His name is Gideon. All right? And Gideon faced incredible odds and yet won the victory. Now, he did that, as I said, because every man stood in his place. And that's something that we need to think about. We just finished Thanksgiving. What next? And some smart aleck's going to say, Christmas! And you're right. But spiritually, what's next is we're thankful, but does our thankfulness help us to continue our service? See, do we really understand that? You see, when you talk about every man being in his place, then that's the church's work. You see... Helping people find their place in God's plan is one of the more important things we do as a church body. You see, because 
being in one's place in God's plan is essential to happiness and success. Being in one's place in God's plan is essential to happiness and success. And so I wanted to look at some of the things that happened here just briefly that need to happen here and continue to happen here and are happening here. The first thing is everyone was a volunteer. Everyone was a volunteer. In, uh, in chapter 6, verses 34 and 35, I didn't read it for you, but I will now. It said that, uh, uh, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and the Abazites, I should have worked on that one, gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and who also gathered behind him and he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali and they came to meet them. And then in chapter 7 uh, verses one or 2 and 3 it says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many uh, for me to give the Midianites in your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself, and my own hand has saved me. Proclaiming the hearing, anyone who's fearful or afraid, let him go home. So again, the historical situation. The Amalekites, the Midianites, the people of the east, they're described in these two uh, chapters as, as locusts. They've just spread out with their camels and their people and and. They're more numerous than you can count. That speaks of how many there were, but it also speaks of their destructive power. They've been in bondage to these people. Israel has for seven years. They're in dire straits. Only God can help them. Uh, They finally call out and God raises up Gideon. Now, we're there and that's that's the background. When he sends out these messengers, 32,000 folks show up. Gideon probably said, oh good, somebody listened to my message. We need to understand they're there on Mount Gilead and he's thinking, boy, that's not many against all these folks, 32,000. And then God says, look, uh, you may have 32,000, but it's still too many. Okay, It's too many because if I help you defeat the uh, Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east with this, you'll claim glory rather than me. The spiritual lesson for volunteers is this. I want you to hear me. I didn't put it in your notes. Okay? When you work for God, you work for His glory, not our own. When we work for God, we work for His glory, not our own. It means that if we can do it and everybody pats us on the back, God's not in it. If we can do it and people are amazed and say, how did that get done? We say, no matter what your background. Then there's the measure. God instructs Gilead. There are too many. He separates them out. According to Deuteronomy 28, they didn't have to fight if they were afraid. So he tells whoever's afraid, go home. Okay, two-thirds of his army leaves. I wonder what Gideon was thinking. I wonder how he felt the way God was measuring it out. I mean, his army's really stronger at 10,000 than it is at 32,000 because they're all volunteers. You say, well, why is that? Because volunteers believe in something. Volunteers step forward when nobody else does. Volunteers are called, especially in the church, of God to do a specific task. And their heart is there because God has laid it on their hearts. And a volunteer army is the same way they believe in something. They serve something other than themselves. Okay? 
And it's stronger because of it rather than having to be conscripted. But I still wonder what Gideon was thinking. God, what are you up to? These guys showed up and you sent two-thirds of them home. (laughs) I think it's a sad testimony when God has to conscript people who should just serve him. He had to twist Moses' arm and turn it leprous to get him to go where he was supposed to go to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, even when he said, I will be with you. You go to the apostle Paul, God had to strike him blind on the road to Damascus to get him to do what he was supposed to do. Personally, I believe he'd been bothered ever since he'd been a witness against Stephen and Stephen was stoned. And the way Stephen died and said, don't lay this sin against their their charge, I think it had bothered him. And yet he resisted and started persecuting the church rather than becoming a believer. And God struck him down. What does it take for us to serve the way God expects us to serve? In our place, in God's kingdom, doing what we're supposed to do. What does he have to do to get us to surrender? It shouldn't be that quiet in here. You see, we still need volunteers as a church. Our community needs volunteers as church members. We need to be committed to his cause and his purpose. Every man in Gideon's army was a volunteer. By the time he got down to 300, every man stood his place. Let's meddle a little bit. Y'all like that? Let's get down to the nuts and bolts of it. There are some people who will never accept Christ because some people in here are not doing what God wants them to do. You will reach people that will never listen to me. Most of them don't like pastors and I don't blame them. That's the truth. You are called to do things that you are gifted at that I cannot do. But you know how to do. And they can turn in to ministries to our community to impact for the kingdom of God as you work through Gaspel Baptist Church. See, after Thanksgiving, does our thankfulness lead us to service? I I believe that Thanksgiving is really shown in what we do afterwards. Well, anyway, is our heart on fire? Are we encouraging others in their faithfulness? We have some faithful volunteers at our church that need encouragement. They work and they work and they work. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to remember the comedian's name, but he was an old-timey guy. He was a cowboy from Oklahoma. Anybody remember what his name is? Will Rogers said, here's what the government does with our taxes. They build no roads, and the Baptists burn them up going here and there. (laughs) He blamed us for the tax increases. Because Baptists used to be known for people who got out and shared the word of God with their neighbors. We need that again. Let's go on. Uh, The second thing that I see is every man was alert. In that chapter 7 passage in verses 4 through 6, God tests him again and said, This 10,000 is still too many. 
get in, you're going to take them down to the water and test them. And the one I say take, you take. And the one I say dismiss, you let them go home. Gideon wondered what God was up to now. And he goes down there and he starts the test. Okay? And what was the test, you see? I think it was a test to see if they were alert. Were they soldier ready? You see, he takes those 10,000 down to the water and everyone that lapped like a dog. But if you read it, he lapped like a dog with his hand. Some got down like this. They weren't alert. They couldn't see the enemy. Some did like this with their hand, bringing the water up just like a dog would lap. They were ready. They were alert. They could be trusted to do what they were supposed to do. Okay? And so out of 10,000, I want you to think of it, God whittles the army down to 300 and said, Oh, that's good. Now you can defeat this army that can't be numbered. What? Are you kidding me? I think he was pretty encouraged at 32,000. I think he was pretty discouraged at 300. But you see, these that passed the test were alert. They were ready. Okay? Are we alert? Are we ready? One of my good friends in one of my churches down in North Little Rock was named Don McGurin. Don has gone on to be with the Lord. Okay? But Don would visit with me on Tuesday nights. And he said, well, let's, let's do some training and learn how to witness. I said, okay. And so we did the training and, and, and we'd go out and he, he, he would come and tell me he was a mechanic, a very good mechanic. And he said, Brother Gary, I just have so many more opportunities to witness now than I ever had before since I've taken that training. And I said, no, Don, it's not that you have more opportunities now. You're just alert to when God gives you an opportunity. See, opportunities come almost on a daily basis when we're serving God. Opportunities to pat somebody on the back, to be kind, to pray with them. Opportunities to minister in this way or that way, the way God has gifted us. Opportunities to tell them about our Savior. Opportunities are there. Okay? We just need to understand that we are supposed to step up and do that. You see, we need to seize our opportunities as God makes us aware of them. We need to be alert. If you take your notes in Matthew 25, 26, and Matthew 25, 41 through 46, uh, Jesus condemned the servants because they were lackadaisical. The master came home and, and judged them because they weren't ready for him to come back. Why were they lackadaisical? Was it just because they didn't have anything to do? No. Was it because that, you know, the master had been gone so long? Well, maybe. But the real problem was they weren't alert. We live in a time when we need to be alert. Our world is worse now than it's ever been. I'm not a pessimist. That's biblical. It's going to get worse. Okay? But the point is, the only way to stave off What's happening in our country, in our world, is to be salt and light that God has called us to. As he gives us opportunities to minister, to rub some salt, to heal things. To share some living water. To do the things to be light. To drive out darkness where we live, in the community we live in. That does not happen if we're not alert. If we're not ready. Well, Brother Gary, how do I get ready? Now, don't raise your hands. Don't answer this out loud. If you're not having a daily quiet time, 
you're not ready. If you're not praying regularly, you're not ready. You're not alert. If you're not reading your Bible and studying your Bible so that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can instruct you and prepare for you what you cannot see that is ahead, you're not ready. You're not alert. I'm not ready. I'm not alert if I don't do those things. If I'm not practicing my gifts in a local baptized body of believers, I'm not alert. I'm not ready. Why are some of y'all doing this now? I don't like that, preacher. Take it up with God. Do we understand that? Every man was a volunteer. Every man was alert. The third thing, every man was equipped. I thought it was a strange equipment. These 300 carried a jar, clay pot over a torch. And they carried a bugle. Now, it's not one of those like this. It's one of those horns, the shofar, that called the people to worship, that called the people to battle, that let the people know when they were led in the Old Testament, coming uh, behind the tabernacle before they entered in the land, that the, the cloud was moving and they were to move out. Pack up. Go. It was a cry. It was strange equipment, but I want you to know it was simple equipment, but it was simple and is also effective in God's plan. Now, you may not get this, but here's what's going to happen in this victory. He's got 300 guys and troops of 100 surrounding that huge camp to be stretched out like that. Everybody has a torch. Everybody has that jar. And everybody has that horn. You see, in that day, you'd carry that light, and that light would represent 10 to 20 people or more. And that horn would call those 10 to 20 or 30 people to charge. And so the first thing they do is break that jar. That's a lot of sound from 300 guys. And they sound like crashing, booming. They're going through the brush to get us. The lights start coming on. Oh, look at all those lights all around the camp. The horns start blowing. Oh, no. And then God causes confusion in the camp. And it said that each man's sword turned against his one. You said, well, that couldn't happen. Sure it could. We have the Amalekites who don't like the other guys, okay, you have the people of the east, they don't like them. So you've got three different groups that really don't like each other. The only thing that unites them is they hate Israel. And when they see an attack coming, they think maybe it's a betrayal from the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other people of the east. And they start fighting one another and killing each other off. What a victory with simple tools. Here's the spiritual truth that you need to grab a hold of. God knows what he is doing. God will never call you and not equip you. God will never call you and equip you without going with you. God knows what he is doing. The question for us is not, or never is, can I, but will I? God isn't looking for my abilities, but my availability is another way preachers say it all the time. Not can I, but will I. You understand that? You see, if you don't believe that God uses that which is simple and that which is weak, look at me. Uh, Everywhere I've served, when God called me to a new place of service, 
I felt like I was not, what's the word? I don't, thank you. That's the word for service there. That's another preacher that knows how I'm feeling, don't you, brother? Everywhere. Started off being a, a, a youth pastor. Where's Brother Galen? I know he's in here somewhere. Oh, he's up there. Okay. They're pointing at him up there. I feel sorry for you, brother. I lasted one summer. They drove me absolutely insane. Uh, I had two different kids in the youth ministry there that were bipolar. I had never dealt with anybody bipolar before. I'd never dealt with suicidal kids before. I'd never dealt with kids on drugs before. And this was all in Warren, Arkansas. We had a big group but, and a diverse group, but I had those kids that had everything and those kids that had nothing. I had those kids that fussed about everything, those kids that didn't care. Sound familiar, Brother Galen? Yeah, he says, yeah. Okay. And I thought, what am I going to do? But God took the situation and got me through it. And it ended up being a good, a good ministry learning experience. But it's not just me. Look at the apostles. You think about those guys and Jesus is going to leave them here to found the kingdom and get the work started. Oh, my goodness. You have zealots. And you have tax collectors. They hate one another. You have fishermen who think they know everything. Didn't Peter think he knew everything? I won't do that, Lord. I'll do this. He didn't. But God brought about victory because he knows what he is doing. Many in this room, if they would testify this morning or could, if I let them, would tell you whatever God called them to do, they didn't think they could do until they did it. And God took over. So quit telling me I can't do it. If God calls you to do it, you better be doing it. So every man was equipped. The final thing, every man was obedient. Some of y'all are ready for this to be over. Because the food is waiting. But if I let you out too early, they'd be mad at me because they weren't quite ready. So we might stretch this out just a little bit if y'all don't start responding a little bit better. There we go. Somebody's hungry. Every man was obedient. Like I said, the thing that all this is a miracle. Everything is wonderful in, the, in these two chapters. But it just jumped out at me in verse 21. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. Every man stood in his place. Can God count on us to stand in our place? Can we be counted on? There you go. You see, here's what that means. They were where they were supposed to be. Is that simple? Are we where we're supposed to be? Are we doing the things God wants us to do where we're supposed to be? Because that's the second point. No, the status is every man stood his place where they were supposed to be, but the steadiness... They were doing exactly what they were to be doing. Breaking the jars, lighting the things, and blowing the horns. I wonder what went through those soldiers' minds when Gideon passed out their battle stuff. You, didn't, you were not told they got a bunch of armor or spears or bows and arrows or swords of that day. They got a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. And we're supposed to fight with this? Yes, you are. 
Just take it and do what I tell you to do. He breaks it up and says, when you all circle the camp, you're in groups of 100, spread as far as you can around this camp. When you hear my first blow on the trumpet, break those jars, light your things, and start blowing your trumpets. They were where they were supposed to be, and they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. God did not save you to sit. Somebody told me one time, but Brother Gary, I'm sort of like a sponge. I need to absorb a little bit. I said, here's what happens if the sponge doesn't get squeezed. It sours and stinks. And I said, you're about the most sour person I know. They didn't like that. Have people come up to me, when are we going to do a mission trip? When are we going to do a mission trip? When are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? You won't even work in a nursery. You think I'm taking you on a mission trip? Hello? I did my time in the nursery when my kids were little. There's still other kids that need your help. Some of you youth that are here. Brother Galen plans things and works on things so hard, and you just eh, take it for granted. I can go if I want to. I don't have to if I don't want to. Shame on you. Now I'm going to get real serious. Some of you parents don't make your kids come. Oh, they won't come. They're not interested. It's not fun enough. Shame on you. Did God call them to have fun or to be holy? Did God call them to be saved or to sit back and wait till some other day when it's more convenient, when they might like it? Get off that. Everyone was in their place doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God caused 300 men to rout an army that couldn't be numbered. Can you imagine? I'll guarantee you after this that Gideon trusted whatever God told him to do. I guarantee you that 300 were never the same. Did you see what God did? Did you see? The others come out afterwards. He said, send messengers. Bottle up the water holes. We've routed them. Don't let them get in water. Let's wipe them out. And they, they took the water holes. The guys who had left. But God got the glory. Amen. I've shared this formula with you and I'll say it again. You plus God is more than enough. You plus God where you work is more than enough. You plus God with your bad neighbor, lousy neighbor, unpleasant neighbor would be the right word, is more than enough. You plus God with those people who absolutely drive you crazy, even in this church, is enough. You better be nice because... Those people you think you don't like, God's going to make your neighbor in heaven. <laughs> Knowing that, when he has the banquet hall, guess who you're going to get to sit by? Because you weren't nice. You didn't love the way you were supposed to love. What do I do about this, Brother Gary? You see, for the victories to be won that God wants won in our community, some have to make a stand in their place. 
Some of you need to stand up and be saved. You need to put everything else behind you and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know that. Some need to stand up and rededicate. Not that you've been doing terrible things. You just hadn't been doing the things God wants you to do. That's still sin. Some need to stand up and say, I don't have a church home. How can I work when I don't have a church home and you need to come join this church? Some need to surrender to special things in his service. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. Whatever God wants you to do as Brother Ronnie leads our hymn of invitation, you need to do. You need not to worry about what everybody else is doing. You need not to worry about gathering up stuff and getting out of here. You need to get serious with God and say, am I in the place where God wants me and am I doing what God wants me to do? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, you've granted us this time with your word. We get to decide, am I available or not? We get to decide, will I obey or not? But Father, with those opportunities comes tremendous responsibility. And if we say no, we're responsible for that. If we say yes, we're responsible to that. Father, these good folks are here because they love you. I pray that they're here to do your will. Father, call out those you need to call out. In Christ's name, amen.